Welcome to the Women on Fire podcast. We're on a mission to help you have your best menopause and rest of your life. I'm your host, Jenna Moore. I'm an accredited integrative health and menopause coach, and I've studied nutritional awareness, women's hormones through a functional medicine lens, and explored various modalities, including breathwork, mindset, and positive psychology. Join me and my guests as we discuss how to navigate the natural life transition of menopause and growing older. From waistlines, waning libidos and what to wear now we're over 40, we discuss it all. Women on Fire is sponsored by Men Me, a New Zealand-based Australasian company by women for women. Men Me specialises in scientifically validated all-natural supplements so you can experience freedom and menopause. And today our guest is the lovely Dr. Linda Deer, who also known as the Meno Doctor. There's a body called the North American Menopause Society, which we call NAMS for short, N-A-M-S, and she has trained as a specialist menopause doctor with them, and I'm going to ask her to explain what that is, but she's also got an incredible background that covers everything from holistic to medical school. So could we talk a little bit about your journey my journey, it was, I suppose, the scenic route, I call yes. it sometimes, to med school, because it took me a while to kind of figure out that that's actually what I wanted to do. Um, so the first thing I did in life was psychology. So that was my first sort of calling and did a psychology degree and then worked in research for a bit on, on as a psych- research psychologist. That was in London. Um and then I kind of got itchy feet and thought, oh, I want to do something in the fitness industry. I was getting really into fitness myself and I was getting into yoga and I just, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get out of the brain stuff and do body stuff. So then I did a personal fitness trainer course. I did a yoga teaching course and did that then for, for a few years, which I loved and then my brain got, you know, got bored, I suppose, and shouldn't have, I mean, it's fascinating stuff, but my brain was like, oh, come on, you know, let's do something brainy again. So that's when I started to think about med school, which I was in my late 20s by then and thought I'm too old. And it turns out I wasn't and got to med school, so then became a doctor and then you're just, you know, in, in the doctor training for several years and there's no time to do anything else. Um, and then became a GP, moved to New Zealand at some point in that time as well and had my two little boys. And then as working as a GP, started to see so many women with perimenopause, you know, and menopause, but particularly perimenopause, you know, was the, I think that's of all the blind spots in medicine, that's probably one of the biggest ones. And for me, it was just, it was so clear and big to me. And then it came and hit me, you know, as soon as I crossed the line of 40, um, you know, I started to not feel right. I started to feel tired. I started to get sweaty at night. And it takes a while to recognize it, even if you're a doctor, you know. So then I thought, well, this is so big, you know, and it brought out the psychology that I'd done because there's so much about it that's, you know, about mental health and how this thing works. Um, And then obviously the lifestyle stuff, you know, because I was struggling to do my yoga and I was hurting. And um, so that propelled me to learn more um, to help other people as well as help myself, really. So then I started to try and figure out, well, how can I become a menopause doctor? What, you know, does it exist? Um, In England it does, more Mm. so than here. So I started looking for courses and all of them, mainly, you had to be in the country that they were delivering the course. And then the North American Menopause Society that I'd already joined, I found out they did an, an exam that you could become a certified practitioner if you passed the exam. So I sort of applied for that, got their big book, started reading it and um, did that exam, passed that exam and around that time started the Menodoctor Clinic, um, which is a, a private clinic that just is about perimenopause and menopause. When was that? What year? Like, if could we just backtrack 
back a bit when you were seeing patients before you'd experienced some changes yourself mm-hmm. um, and you were seeing women with perimenopause. Now, a lot of these women will go to the doctor and get told they're too young or the, mm-hmm. or the symptoms won't re- get recognised. So mm-hmm. you recognise them. How did you recognise them? Well, I've got to be honest, and I didn't recognise them at first. Okay. You know, mm. and I even now I want to go back in time and see all those women again, wherever they are, you know, because I know that I was missing it. And, you know, when was the moment when I started to see it? Because it's funny, isn't it? You probably know this. Once you start seeing it, it's really quite obvious, isn't it? Suddenly, you know, you think, well, this is perimenopause and it all slots into place. But that blind spot is so strangely big. Um, I don't know when the turning point was. I suppose it must have been when I started to have some symptoms myself because I didn't recognise them in me straight away. So it must have been, you know, it's it's hitting 40. You know, for me, mm. everything seemed to just go downhill. You know, I thought, you think 40 is going to be great, but it, sometimes it's not, you know. So I think it, that was probably the turning point, that, that the f- hitting 40 and my own taste of it, and then suddenly my eyes were open and there were so many women coming and sitting in front of me and as they would start talking, I'd be like, I think this is hormones, you know? Even if you've got no hot flushes, even if you're still having your periods, you know, you put all these little pieces together and you th- you can start to see it. Yeah, it must be really... Um helpful having that psychology background as well because it's physical it's not just physical symptoms it's the emotional psychological symptoms as well isn't it I mean they're huge Mm. I I say this all the time I did a post on this and I said hormones mess with our heads you know Mm. and I think most of us women will we know that you know and then when they start going a bit berserk these hormones in perimenopause you know our brains feel that a lot um And, you know, the way we name these hormones, sex hormones, we call them, or reproductive hormones, that is such a limited view of what they do as hormones. Yes, they're very important for periods and making babies massively, but that's not all they do in a woman's body and in her brain. You know, they are doing lots of other things for us. So when they fluctuate, we can feel it in all these different parts of us. And yeah, the mood symptoms can be the first thing. They can be the, the major thing. Um, and obviously there's a tendency not always to think about hormones if a woman has just got mood symptoms. Um, you're not necessarily going to start asking about her periods or asking about hormones but we should be, you know, if, if that woman is 35 upwards, really, that should be on our radar. Because there's lots of research now that says the, the treatments, you know, if we talk about medications, the treatments for mood disorders are not very appropriate and not as good if that is a hormonal, hormonally driven mood disorder, you know, or problem. And I'd say anxiety is probably the most common thing that you hear women suddenly getting or getting worse. Um, And it just comes out of nowhere. And, you know, women get scared to do stuff that they normally wouldn't think twice about doing. So it, it restricts what they're doing in their lives and it makes them nervous in their jobs, you know, to even just to stand up in front of people suddenly, you can kind of feel that absolute nervousness you know and it's um it's quite frightening because you don't feel like the same person sometimes so yeah the mood impact of perimenopause and menopause is really under you know under recognized because it's massive so all the st- and I remember my psychology degree you know we didn't talk much about hormones in that either well you probably because when would you have done that? That would have been... That would have been... So I was in my... I was eight, you know, 19. So, oh. yeah, it's 20 years ago. Um, there's a wonderful woman in Australia, Professor Kulkarni. Oh, yes, have I you, know. Right. So she's awesome, isn't she? Mm. She is all about um, hormonal psychiatry mm. becoming a recognised thing. Mm. And another word... Um, 
reproductive depression it's yes. sometimes called although it's not just about depression you know there's like I say there's lots of anxiety there um, but she's doing quite a lot in Australia to just try and get that message out there within psychiatry you know because they're they're seeing these women and they're not thinking about hormones um and they probably should be some sometimes mm. we can't blame them for everything hormones you know no. It's easy to sometimes, isn't it? I mean, they, they do do a lot. Mm. But she's doing wonderful things because, yeah, that's a big part of peri and menopause that needs more attention because we're, we're treating it the wrong way, mm. basically. You mm. know? And a lot of women, they're on this merry-go-round of antidepressants and different things and weird ones and this one and nothing seems to be working even all the great lifestyle stuff or counseling and mindfulness and all this wonderful other things there's something missing sometimes for those women mm. um and it's probably hormones mm. in some cases it probably is because mm. more research is needed isn't it because there wasn't a lot of research done historically was there no and yeah there's it, i mean most research on most things are based on men's bodies mm. Because um, actually, a, a lot of research, including psychology, you know, most when I remember doing it, you're always getting offered to be a participant in something. So most experiments or research things are for psychology are just psychology students who are being asked to do it. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you've got like twenty-year-olds, you know, doing these cognitive tests or whatever it is. Um, so. You know, a lot of research, it's only as good as whoever were your participants. You know, it represents them and their group or age or gender, but it may not be applicable to different ages, different genders, you know, different cultures even. You know, and yeah, women's health in general, you can say, hasn't had enough research. And I think one of the reasons, I might be wrong, I've read this somewhere, you know, you read all kinds, don't you? You don't know what yes. to say. Because women's bodies are unpredictable and so variable, it's very hard to control things in an experiment. So it's like, well, just use a man's body, you know, because they're basically the same every day, aren't they? Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's like, well, you're missing all the complexity then, mm. you know. And we, another analogy I love, you might have heard it is, and I use this a lot with my patients, I say, Men are the sun, women are the moon. So men are on a 24-day cycle. You know, they get up when the sun goes up, they do their thing, and when the sun goes down, they get tired and they go to bed. Then they, then they wake up and they do it all over again. Now, we are like the moon. We literally have a monthly cycle, you know. Yes. And um, look at the moon. Sometimes it's big and shiny. Sometimes it's a little slither. Sometimes it's up in the daytime. You know, it's it's low it's high so we vary a lot you know and there are times when we're big and shiny and there's times when we just want to be left alone to just be a little slither and curl up in bed and you can't turn a moon into a sun and you can't turn a sun into a moon you but you can do the best with what you are you know and we learn but, but we are complicated and therefore not ideal research participants, I suppose. Um, but we miss the magic then. We never figure the magic out mm. if, we, if we don't look at it. Mm. We probably never will figure it all out, though, I think. That's part of the, the mystery of us. Mm. Is Will probably always be some mystery, which is part of our magic, I mm. think. Mm. Um Although we do need science on our side as well, you know, we don't want to be ignored. No, exactly. <laughs> no, and we do yeah. need a little more understanding. But yeah, yes. there's still that little bit of mystery is good as well. I, I think so. I think there'll be things we never fully explain mm. because women are so unique, even amongst women, mm. you know. You can't put even women in a big box and say this is women's thing and this is man's thing, you know. Maybe this is this is not very nice to men. Maybe men, well, they vary as well, don't they? You can't say oh, that. absolutely. <laughs> you can't say they're all the same. But I feel like there's even more richness and variety in in females for some reason. That's you know, and certainly from a doctor's point of view, there is. You know, when you when you do women's health and what women's bodies can do. 
Yeah, they're pretty incredible machines, aren't they? You could spend the whole five years at med school just doing women's health. And maybe some of us should. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and we still wouldn't know everything. Um, But yeah, it is a more complicated thing, a woman's body and a woman's mind. Mm. Mm. It, it is. Mm. It's more, and it's way more interesting, really. Well, we're pretty amazing, I think. But um, one of the questions that I get asked all the time, and I think you do too, because I've spoken with you about this, is women are going to their GPs and having blood tests, or they're wanting to have a blood test, to show if they're in perimenopause. And this is where we don't have all the answers, isn't it? And this is where we are complicated because there is no test, is there? No, there's no test for perimenopause. Yeah. So there is a test for menopause. And, you know, just so everyone knows what those words really mean when a doctor says them, um, and when anyone says them, really. You know, menopause is your last ever period, and there's no more after that. I'll t- I'll, it gets tricky because obviously they say, well, what about women who've had hysterectomies? And what about women who mm. have myrenas and they're not having periods anymore? We'll talk about them in a sec. But if you've not got a myrena and you've still got your womb, you know, we can say your last ever period is your menopause moment. But sometimes you, you might think you've had your last one and then you have another one three months later, you know. So that's why we have to say it's, we can only define it after you've gone a whole 12 months without one. So we don't know you're there until 12 months have gone by. And then we look back and say, that was your last ever period. That was your menopause moment. So that's what menopause is. And then before we get to that stop, ovaries don't tend to just stop. They, they judder and shudder. You know, second puberty is another way of looking at it, mm. you know. Puberty is when they're starting up. Perimenopause is when they're shutting down. And that can be a bit of a rough old ride because they don't just stop. Um, they they fluctuate, the ovaries. They do their best for a bit. They may get it a bit wrong. Sometimes they may give out too many hormones. Sometimes they're not giving out any. So they're all over the show. Um and wimp, just to go back to women who've had a hysterectomy, it's very hard to know when they hit menopause if they hadn't hit it before it. Um, in a way, though, it doesn't make any difference to the options that woman should have for treatment if she wants any kind of treatment. Because all the treatment options for perimenopause are exactly the same as the, all the treatment options for menopause. And when I say treatment options, I'm including everything on that, as in lifestyle, psychology, supplements, herbal remedies, HRT, antidepressants, the whole shebang should be available to women who are in perimenopause and those in menopause. But the testing thing, women want to know where they're at. Women want to know what is going on in my body and why. And it gives me an explanation because it feels so messy and chaotic. Mm. In a way, that's when we are really searching for some science as well, I think, some answers, something we can get our teeth around. Um, But unfortunately, nature doesn't give us anything like that in perimenopause to hang our coat on because she keeps moving things around. Because the thing that we measure in the blood test, the hormone called FSH, which is what your brain releases to tell your ovaries what to do. Um, In peri, sometimes that has to get loud if your ovaries are slacking off, so it'll be high. But then other times your ovaries are doing all right, so then it's low again. So it depends when you catch it. It could be high. It looks like menopause then because the the ovaries must have stopped because the boss has got loud. But no, it was just a bad day. (laughs) And the ovaries have woken up again and the other problem with hormone levels in blood or saliva or urine is it's not telling you where the action's happening anyway because the action happens at receptors so the hormones that are floating around are not giving any instructions until they find a receptor on a cell and say do this or do that and we can't measure receptors and I think you know women probably differ in how many receptors they have or whether their receptors are on or off. So it, there's no. that's why two women can have the same blood estrogen levels and feel completely different. 
Mm. One's fine. One is having a lot of issues. It's too low for her. It look, you know, you think, is it too low for you? No, it's just her receptors. Possibly, she needs a higher level because of her receptors that are there. Even though the levels that you measure look the same in those two women, the effects in those women's bodies are different because the receptors are probably different. Wow. So that's how you know when you think of the complex thing going on. The looking at what's in the blood is not going to tell you what's happening for that woman or give you a perfect recipe for anything um, or a perfect number to aim for in that particular woman her body tells you when it's happy with whatever level it's got floating around so it's the woman's symptoms as we call them although you know they're kind of messages really is another way of saying it Mm. you know is her body and brain in a good happy place and the blood test doesn't re- always tell you that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's hard, and I think it's hard for people to understand that too. But it can rule out other things, can't it? Yes. So I'll if, if I see a woman and she's not had blood tests for over a year for anything, mm. and she's got all these f- symptoms of fatigue or body pains, you know, and even and the night sweats. You know, there's other things that can cause night sweats. So we have to make sure we're not missing anything else. So yeah, the blood tests are mainly useful to rule out everything else, and it's it's a case of perimenopause being what we call a diagnosis of exclusion where we've excluded everything else, thyroid function, B12 levels, iron levels, there's no anemia, there's no diabetes. So when everything else is doing its job, then you can point the finger at perimenopause. You say, it's you, isn't it? (laughs) Sneaky little thing. (laughs) You know, because it does mimic other stuff. It's like the great disguiser. Mm. Um, It can put all these little moustaches on and glasses you know and just hide and say oh no I'm just stress that's its favorite disguise you know or oh no she's just getting older <laughs> I'm just aging I'm not perimenopause you know and look we can't you can't say stress and aging don't affect people's health body and mind it does hugely so but we have to figure out which role they're playing and which role perimenopause is playing because it's normally got some role um, but it can be just sort of hiding in the shadows. But then when you put the torch on and see it, you think, God, it's massive, isn't it? You know, it's suddenly uh, it's suddenly obvious mm. a little bit. Um, it's a tricky one, though, isn't it? And I think the whole 12-month thing is tricky too because then you will have someone, because I hear this quite often, um, Someone's gone 18 months and all of a sudden they're bleeding again. Or even um, one lady I heard from a couple of months ago, two years. So let's talk about that because that's important. Mm. So if you, we say, you know, a whole year without a period, Mm. you're now what we'd call postmenopausal because you had a menopause moment that last period 12 months ago. Um, if you get any little bleeds in that 12 months, we tend not to worry about them. We say, oh, well, you're still probably in peri, you know, peris. The, the ovaries are still trying to make their mind up. They've not quite given up yet. But then once you've gone the whole 12 months, any woman who has a bleed after that time, unless it's triggered by HRT, so we don't worry about a woman having a bleed if she starts some hormones, or, right. or often even things that imitate hormones can trigger it. Oh, is that right? It can mm. do, yeah. But e- if there's no other explanation, then we a doctor wants to see you, yeah. So that that's a reason to go and see your GP and say I've not bled for over a year, whether that's eighteen months or two years, and said, and I've had a. It can be a small bleed, even. You know, you say I've I've had a little bleed, and then we call that a postmenopausal bleed, and that's an automatic referral for a for a scan, a pelvic ultrasound. And even to see a gynecologist. Mm. And, nine, you know, most, most times it is nothing to worry about. Most, most times it's nothing to worry about. It was just a little blip of hormones that, that the womb listened to and it did as it was told and it, it had a little bleed. But we have to, we like to make sure it is just that. Because sometimes in small cases it is something going on in that woman's womb that could be something bad. So... 
as in it could be cancer is the you know is the main worry it's highly unlikely that it is but we always check that right so that's a good little rule in in women's heads that w- we should get out there to say once you've gone that y- magic year any bleeds after that a doctor wants to know about that's really important isn't it yeah hugely important yeah um which kind of brings me to as well if someone doesn't have a doctor linda Mm. <laughs> Their GP's not a doctor, Linda. Um, and this could be any stage. This could be perimenopause, menopause, probably more that lead up, like peri and menopause, mm. like postmenopause. You sort of know more the lay of the land, hopefully. Um, but say they are going to their uh, GP who sort of fobs them off, which I hear a lot, Mm. or um, don't really know a lot about perimenopause, menopause, how would they speak to them? Because we live in a time of information, which is a fabulous thing, but we also live in a time of misinformation. Mm. So generally though people are pretty savvy these days so if they're wanting answers how would they how would you suggest they talk to their gp if they're not getting any joy it can be tricky you know and there's varied knowledge out there with uh, the same with any condition really you know Mm. or any phase of life perhaps that some doctors are better at some things than others you know and in a way, if you can find out if there is a doctor at the practice you're at who is, first of all, interested in women's health, but that is a big topic. Mm. So to be honest, even just being interested in women's health, it doesn't automatically mean you're interested in menopause, unfortunately, not always. But then there are lots who are interested in menopause. So it's worth asking, is there a doctor that maybe you've never seen before at the practice you're at, but who is interested in, at least in women's health? And then you, if you can, the other, the other good thing to do is to try and book a longer appointment because usually this sort of thing needs more than 15 minutes, mm-hmm. as does a lot of other stuff. And in an ideal world, us GPs would never operate on some 15-minute clock. You know, I don't know who invented that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was a woman. Um, you know, and it is really hard to stick to for the doctor and the patient. You know, everyone feels that stress of, write me list, oh, God, I've got, okay, oh, you know, everyone's, and the doctor's all stressy with all the stuff they've still got to do for the day. And it's just, it's not ideal, but it's the way things are. So if you can book a 30-minute and be prepared to pay for that extra 15 at more than just the first 15, because all patients only get one 50-minute appointment capitated which means funded by the government so it can be a bit more expensive but it gives you a bit more time it gives the doctor a bit more time so that's sometimes a good idea and then it's getting prepared before you get in there and as you say you know where do they go and what do they look at this is I mean in terms of the website that I've put out there and I'm still trying to put more stuff on because it is it is more about definitions and hormones my website Although I've got this nice, lovely section that's still waiting for me to write in it about <laughs> lifestyle. And one day I'll find the time to bloody do that. Um, so, you know, if you want to talk about what the definition is um, or, or about HRT with a doctor who might not be very open to that, you know, I think my website's a good place for information. The Australasian Menopause Society website is a good place for information. Um, so, you know, you've got, some reputable, if you like, places that your GP will trust, I suppose is the word, isn't it, a little bit? Mm. You know, if you can say, well, the Australasian Menopause Society have got this leaflet that says you don't need a test to prove you've got perimenopause. or And it says some of the symptoms are can be psychological and it can be body pain. I don't need to have hot flushes. You know, you can discuss that with them and show them something that has a sort of doctorish sort of stamp on it. Um, so then maybe they'll be more open to seeing it, that maybe this is a hormone thing going on for that woman. Um, because we do kind of know our bodies, don't mm. we? And I know from a medical point of view, that can seem a bit wishy-washy, 
to some but actually we often that intuition or whatever you want to call it you know it is a powerful thing um we can't just box every everything into science or prove everything um so usually if a woman is 35 or older and starts saying these various things to me um and all her other blood tests are fine and she's not too stressed <laughs> although she might be stressed there's still a role for hormones there and i think we should um you know appreciate that and not be too quick to fob it off um so i'd say you know get prepared with some stuff that you think they may listen to as well try and get longer time try and find the right doctor to talk to Mm. the australasian menopause society have a have a list of doctors who are interested in menopause who in new zealand um so there's there's that to look at Um, but there's plenty who are interested who are not on that list you know there are really good gps out there in this arena Mm. um but it can feel like you can't find them, I suppose, um, which is a shame. Um, can be a bit like a needle in a haystack sometimes, I think, for some people. Yes. Mm. And then when you find a good one, everyone wants to see them, so you can never get an appointment is the other problem, yes. isn't it? Yes, that's so. what I'm hearing lately. But, you know, people always... <laughs> They associate hot flushes and mood swings, right? But Mm. there's a whole lot of lesser known signs and symptoms as well. So should we talk a little bit about those? Yeah, Mm. because you're absolutely right. You know, you hear the word menopause or something with menopause in it, like perimenopause, and you think grumpy with hot flushes. You know, mainly that's what people think. But you're right. Like I said before, you know, these hormones are not just sex hormones. They are talking to every part of us, our bodies and brains. So it's not surprising if they fluctuate or change. Whatever cell you can think of could get quite upset and start telling you it's upset. So that does include our joints and our muscles. So pain is is a really common symptom. Joint pain, muscle pain. Um, Sleep is another sort of really common one. Sleep, and that doesn't always just mean because you're getting night sweats. Some women don't get any night sweats, but they still can't bloody sleep. Um, And they often can't figure out why. You know, I call it the 2 a.m. club. There's like, there's Mm. women all over the planet wide awake at 2 a.m. and they think they're the only ones and they're not, you know. And they might need a wee or they might be a bit hot or they might be feeling palpitations or anxiety that might have woken them up. Or sometimes there's just nothing and they're just like, I really need to go to sleep. I've got work in the morning and I'm wide awake and I don't know what to do. Um, So I'd say insomnia and sleep things can be an early thing. And just that fatigue, Mm -hmm. you know. And and that's a really common thing that, that GPC is a woman just coming in saying, I just feel so tired, doc. Can I, can you check my iron? That's a really common start of a consult. And as soon as I hear those two sentences, my peri radar's already going off. And you know, right. I'm saying it might be, it might be. Let's let's. I mean, I try not to get too excited that everything's hormones, you know. But it's there. It should be a coming up in a doctor's head as a possibility. Um, so fatigue is a, is a, is a common thing. And yet, as you said, the mood, the mood change, not just the grumpiness, people think, oh, she just gets irritable and that's it. But no, it's often anxiety um, or low mood. You know, it can be very low mood. And I hear a lot um, from women who struggle with rage. Rage. Yes. I've, yes. I've had that too. And it's you can frightening. F- you feel horrid. Mm. And then you feel kind of guilty. You know, especially if it's towards someone who you love, really. or But you you do feel a bit out of control. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, again, that puberty um, comparison is quite appropriate sometimes because it's almost like that, you know, how teenagers can get, or toddlers, you know, that kind of insane sort of sudden switch. Mm. And you just think, well, I'm old enough to know better. What am I doing? But, yeah, you can feel really red you know, dark kind of, um, and it's it's not always who you are at all. You know, it can be very out of character. Um, so yeah, it, it's any type of mood change really. And then there's the other brain stuff where you just can't remember things. 
Um, mm. You know, and it's that's that's well, it can just be embarrassing, so or it can be frightening, you know. And women start to lose their confidence in themselves, especially at work or things, and they've got lists everywhere, you know, because they're like, I'll probably forget this, better write it down. Um, and then you forget where you put your list, <laughs> you know, or you literally, you know, someone you've known for 20 years, you've got no idea what their name is suddenly, and you're just like, well, I can't ask them, I, I've, you know, and then you have to introduce them to someone, and then you're just like, Oh, it's a terrible feeling. Is that's you know social mm. awkwardness massively? You just think, oh god. But yeah, your me- your mind seems to not be there for you, um, and and your confidence and your sort of focus. You know, you 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 used to tick all these things off at the end of the day, and suddenly, oh, I still haven't done that. But you just can't be bothered as well. There's like a motivation issue sometimes. You just and that's a bit teenage, mm. isn't it? As well, you know, you just think I just want someone else to do it. I can't be bothered, but then you feel guilty, you know, especially if you're a mum, because you know we're the givers, we're the carers. We're not supposed to be shouting and mean. <laughs> we're supposed to be doing all that nurturing. So it, that whole part of that female sort of makeup, whatever, is really gets challenged sometimes, and then then you can feel that horrible guilt on top of it all. So there's just layers of emotion sometimes, which then just drains you even more when you're already kind of, you feel like you're running on empty a lot of the time. And a lot of women actually say to me, you know, I feel like I've lost myself. Mm. It's that sort of sentence and that feeling, um, you know, and there's, there's, there's a sadness about that. And, and, and it's, it's scary that you think, well, I've still got a lot of living to do. You know, um, you're kind of in your prime, really. Mm. Um, and suddenly you feel like it's a struggle. Mm. So what do you suggest to these women? So It would all differ, I imagine. It does differ. And it, it depends what they... Um, what they want to try or don't want to try. The, the analogy I use with all my, all my patients usually is I say, look, the way I look at it is this. There's a menopause buffet, as, mm-hmm. that's what I call it. And that's what every woman should be presented with as soon as Perry comes knocking. You know, she wants to know, well, what are my options? What's, what, what's, what have I got to help me if I need, if I feel like I need some support? So the buffet is there and centerpiece, which is kind of your, the main course that everybody gets, you don't get to choose that, is lifestyle changes for me. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, right, we've got to get them in order, preferably, yeah. um, before we start picking all the other bits in the buffet that's on there. You know, and that's your pillars of health, as they're known. And that's, you know, the basic needs of happiness and health at any stage, you know, not just in peri and menopause. Mm. And that's, you know, what are we eating? How are we moving? Are we sitting down all day? And we all sit down all day. The chairs are everywhere, you know, you can't help it. Are we are we sleeping well? Are we preparing ourselves for sleep? You know, are we telling our brain when it's time to sleep and when it's time to get up? So it's getting the right signals. Um, are we staying away from the things our body really doesn't like? Because you get to this phase and it lets you know how much it doesn't like them. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? There's no getting away with it anymore. Mm. You know, it finally finds its voice, your body. It has never liked them. It just kept its mouth shut. Yes. And then I think you get here and it says, right, she's not sleeping tonight if she's going to drink that rubbish. You know, so you find wine is suddenly not your best mate anymore. Um, And lots of other things are not your best mate. And they never really were. So you've got to, you know, cut out all those things um, that we know are not good for us. Um, those false friends, as I call them. False friends, I like that. Fault, they stab you in the back. They mm. do. They're fun at the time. Sugar. Sugar's a fun. Yeah, they, you have a right party with them and then they're Wine. stabbing you in mm. the back. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, trying to de-stress, you know, that, mm. that last bit, which is easier said than done. But there's things you can do. That, and, you know, for me, it was yoga for a long time and br- the breathing that that teaches you, the mindfulness. Because breath work's very important here. As I teach breath work too, yes. but not to the extent that you would have in yoga, but that can create a huge difference, Carter, in terms of activating the parasympathetic system. 
the rest. It's beautiful. Mm. You know, we need to breathe and we could we can breathe better. You know, it's it's an amazing thing the body does and it, it like you say, it sends some amazing signals out and it does activate the parasympathetic nervous system and the sort of vagus nerve and all these parts of us that is about we call it in medicine it's called rest and digest you know and that's why if you've not got the parasympathetic nervous system doing its thing you can't digest things properly which is why you get so many gut problems if you're highly stressed because you're just in fight or flight because when we're stressed our body says right there's trouble coming we better get the blood supply to the muscles we haven't got time to have a meal or digest a meal so they the blood supply goes away from your gut towards your muscles and your eyes it's another place they go so you can see because you're getting ready to run from danger so that rediversion of blood flow is why your gut suffers so much if you as one of the reasons there's others as well your gut bacteria don't like it stress but the blood flow thing is a big is a big side of it but yeah breathing especially with all of the adrenaline rushes you get in perimenopause and menopause because it is kind of an adrenaline rush you know in a cortisol change because estrogen helps regulate our cortisol Mm. i think of estrogen a bit like the conductor going around keeping everyone in check and then when he's slacking off the whole band just it's all a bit of a mess and there's there's noise you know there's a drummer going mental and so without that nice rhythm other things fall apart um, but your yeah, breathing is hugely powerful so those pillars of health are your main course in the middle so let's just reiterate them food yes food breath work movement so getting rid of the false friends get ditch the false friends break up with them <laughs> yeah you don't need them and um Start again. I've got confused now. Yeah, you've got my... So diet, um, movement, um, sleep, hygiene. That, that was the sleep. The How sleep could I miss sleep? Hygiene, mm. Sleep, hygiene. And then, yeah, false friends or toxins. <laughs> get rid of the toxins. And de-stressing in whatever way that means. Yes. And breath work is a big... Can be a huge component of that. Right. Um, so that's your main course. Yeah. Um, which we all should try and achieve. And then on that buffet table, women should know there's other options there. And for me, I say, what's on that table? Well, supplements are on that table. Herbal remedies are on that table. And then you've got, um, well, I, I also put psychology as a separate thing. on that. Although yeah. that could come under de-stressing and the pillars of health. But sometimes even more so than that, you know, to really... Anyone with trauma, you know, past trauma or so psychotherapy or CBT or acceptance and commitment therapy, whatever. That's got a lot of data behind it. Oh, I love that. Yes. Mm. So I did a course in that. That I think is wonderful. Yes. ACT. ACT is amazing. There's a doctor called Ross Harris who's a floppy haired scouser. (laughs) And I'm a scouser originally. So he's from Liverpool in England. And he's done loads of YouTube videos and he's got a book and he's got courses. But some of his stuff you can just Google and it comes up. And I love how he describes the principles of ACT Mm. in a way that just sort of makes it simple. And and you sort of go, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, So I'd say that's a separate thing, really, psychotherapy, psychology. And then you've got medications. You've got science coming in, you know, as it should, Mm. to say, oh, here's some other options for Mm. for everybody. And you've got non-hormonal options on the table. Mm. Um, And that's the things like antidepressants, Mm -hmm. gabapentin, which is actually a a drug that acts on the nervous system, a calming sort of drug. You've got a blood pressure medication that somehow stops hot flushes, and we don't really know how, but it does for some women. So you've got all this other stuff that kind of came about when everyone got, you know, put off HRT. Right. So have you witnessed the power of herbs or or read some data behind the power of herbs? Because they've they've got hundreds and hundreds of years of use behind them, don't you? So you're don't they? So you're not opposed to those either. I, I'm not opposed to anything on the buffet, no. I have to say. I, I know as a doctor or as, you know, y- y- we are supposed to say nothing until there's a big RCT, pretty much, you know, 
For me, though, I think that's a bit oversimplistic, and I don't think there's there's harm to be had from trying whatever a woman wants to try that's on that table, because it's different things work for different women, mm. you know. So it's it, you can't sort of say to a woman, "Oh, this is going to work for you," including HRT. Mm. You know, mm. there's women for whom HRT does not suit them or does not really benefit them, or they don't want to take it. So it, it's on the table, but they're going to go through that buffet and they're not going to choose that one. Mm. Um, so, it, you know, and that's why I use the buffet analogy, really. It's like it should all be there, and it should all be there in a way where we're presenting it properly. Um, and, you know, the problem HRT has had is that it has been locked in the breast cancer box. So mm. it wasn't even on the buffet table. It was just gone. Um and now it's out of that box and it's on the buffet table where it should be for women to be able to choose from it if that's something they want to choose. Um, so that's how I try and present, you know, what can a woman do if she's getting to this phase of her life and things are not good enough, you know. It's the buffet table. That's a great analogy. Buff, the menopause buffet. <laughs> And if you try something you don't like it, you can just go back and get something else, you know? You've got some great analogies. I really think life's great. easier with analogies. Yeah, it, it does <laughs> tend to simplify. I can't believe that this time has gone so fast because I feel like we've got another two hours of talking here. <laughs> this, it's <laughs> a massive topic, menopause, isn't it? It's a beast. It is. So maybe it's we'll have to re- redo another one and... And pick our little targets. Um, but we will have to wrap up. So I'd love it. Can you tell everyone how they can find you, but also share about the Menno Survey? Yes, the Menno Survey. So I started this a few months ago in New Zealand, a survey to try and get a picture of what are people's experiences of menopause in New started in New Zealand. Um, and now I've released it in Australia as well. So, and the, they're both still running. And if you go to, although the New Zealand one stopped for a bit because I was going to just crunch the numbers, but I've decided to go a bit longer. So as of tomorrow, the New Zealand one will be back up and running. The Auss- Aussie one's running now. What's the link to so the you go Australian to, one? Yeah, menosurvey.com. Right. So M-E-N-O survey, all one word, menosurvey.com will at the moment take you to the Australian one. And as of tomorrow, when I figure out how to reactivate it, there'll be a link to the New Zealand one again as well. Because the New Zealand one, we've got 4,200, I think, now. Right. So many women want to talk about this. Right. Okay. You know? And it, it is a long survey. You know, I was thinking, maybe no one will fill this in. They'll just... I filled it in. To, did you? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I was thinking, as I was writing, I was like, well, I want. we want to know this and we want to ask this. And and I was like, all of this is important. It's it's hard to cut it down without then losing the, the real richness of what, what women are going through in terms of the symptoms, in terms of the treatments, in terms of their mental health, how it's affected their jobs and their relationships, you know, all these different things that it kind of, it it goes out and affects, doesn't it, you know, which is why it's such a big topic um, and why you can't have this, like, blinkered view of it, either over-medicalising it or under-medicalising it, you know, somewhere in the middle you've got to sort of bring everything in and then different women will find what works for them in different places but the effect and the impact of menopause is is like an octopus you know so the survey reflects that um but yeah if people can find the time to fill it in particularly in australia because that's where we're trying to there's over a thousand responses already in australia so it Mm -hmm. is and yeah if you want to if you want to fill it in that would be wonderful because it is going to help really shine a light on what's going on for women and we need that, don't we? We need to know more, we, you know. Yeah, mm. and it's 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 the start, I think. And the more things like this happen, the better things we'll get. Mm. And then, I, you know, I often think the better it will be for the next generation of women. Exactly. You know, who are going to... And, and the sooner they sort of understand their bodies and what, what their bodies are going to do... Not to frighten them, we shouldn't be too negative about peri and menopause, shouldn't we? That there's, it's also 
very enlightening and empowering, you know. <laughs> there is a growth, a transformation. I think the other side of it is like what they say, so many older women say that it's fabulous once you're on the other side. I think that's true. Mm. Yes. Because the hormones all settle down a wee bit, don't they? And they you settle into your new groove. <laughs> yes, this new chapter of you. Mm. Um, so there is positivity, but we do we want to be prepared, good, bad, and ugly, really. And yeah, it's about making menopause interesting to younger people. That's something I like would like to try and do. Um, but we have to start by talking to the the, the people who are actually there, mm. you know, and getting information and getting to know what women are going through, mm. um, and just to let other women know they're not on their own because it can be quite a lonely place. Mm. Really quite a lonely place. One of the um, symptoms I've heard of, because there are more and more coming out, is feeling unloved. And I've been there, I know, you know, and it's very common, apparently. Yeah, and it it is a phase that doesn't get enough love. I say that in medicine, it doesn't get enough love. And I, that's why I just did the clinic, to just be about menopause, because it needs love. So it's funny you say that as a, you know, feeling unloved. It's like we do need, we need to give it more love um, as a profession, really. Well, thank you um, for creating that. That's amazing. <laughs> it's but, beautiful that it's, uh, that you've underpinned it with love. I mean. That's how I feel about it. And I think, you know, it's partly because, you know, it. I know how it feels a bit myself and, and you know, I think and you're doing it for all the other mums struggling, all the other sisters, all the other daughters who are going to struggle. And it's kind of, there's a real sisterhood, I think, with it, um, even though it feels lonely. So it's getting that message out there that you're not on your own um, and you are loved. Well, thank you. That's a gorgeous place to wrap mm. up. Mm. And Minnow Doctor? Men, so that yeah, my website is menodoctor.com. Right. And then the survey is on menosurvey.com. Right. Um I've got a link for the survey on my website somewhere, but you can get straight to the survey from Menno Survey. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us at Women on Fire today. Thank and, you. And um, like I say, we could talk for hours. We could, couldn't we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> on our ginger water on our gingers <laughs> these are not fake friends these ginger are real waters. friends cheers. cheers to real friends <laughs> and if you'd like more information just head to our website www.minome.co.nz. Mm-hmm.